0: Love, talk, radio.
1: Good morning, and welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast. Through interviews and discussions, it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. I'm Nicole Erdix, and one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, inclusion teacher, and creator of the online resource, theinclusiveclass.com. And joining me here on the Inclusive Class this morning from her car in snowy <laughs> New Jersey <laughs> this morning is my co host, Terry Morrow. Hi, Terry.
2: Hi there. Good morning. Yes, I am coming to you live from the parking garage at beautiful Bergen Community College in Paramus, New Jersey. <laughs> Looking location. Looking at the snow coming down. On location, yes. Uh, where my children are included in college programs. There you go. Wonderful. The... <laughs> I am Terry Mora. I'm the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education. And I write about special needs for About.com at specialchildren.about.com. I, well, I'll, I'll say this on your behalf, Nicole. I'd like to mention to anybody out there listening to us live that Nicole is not taking phone calls because she no. doesn't want to talk to you. And the chat room uh, <laughs> will not be open because she probably doesn't know how to do that. No. Um, so you just have to keep your questions to yourself. Email us. Text us later. Yeah. That's good.
1: Contact we'll get back to you. So yeah. we'll get
2: to to you. <laughs> we just want to keep so
1: things simple this morning and, and running yes. smoothly.
2: We are rolling with it. We are being flexible. We are practicing for next week when I will be a giant talking head at a conference, and uh, we're getting all our bad tech luck out now. That's right, exactly. Speaking of conferences, I'm quite excited,
1: Terry. We were talking about that yesterday. There's going to be um, quite a great conference in San Diego on March the 13th to the 15th. Did I say 13th? No, sorry, 14th and 15th. Mm -hmm. I believe it starts on the 13th. And it is the Kids Included Together Conference in San Diego. And we've been talking about it because you and I are going to be moderating a panel discussion of four advocates. And I just recently found out that if you are unable to attend the conference in person, you can actually watch it stream live over the Internet. So that's kind of a neat feature. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize that. but. If you go to the My website, giant
2: disembodied head be on the giant
1: streaming um, thing? <laughs> I believe it will be, Terry. <laughs> I will be a little screen in the corner
2: for everybody. They won't be uh, able to yes. see it very well, which is just as well.
1: So if you can't see us in person, head over to the <laughs> KIT conference website. I think it's www.kitconference.org, and you can Excellent. find out how to log in and watch us live. So I interrupted you there. Cool. How's your week going?
2: Uh, well, good. it's going all right It's somewhat calmer Reader's Choice voting is still going on So I can flog that for another week or two um, Keep voting for your favorites And also leaving nice messages about them uh, That That's will good. be a living monument on my site So cars are good. coming in all around me here Are you hearing like weird echoey rumbles? No It might be noisy here now for a little while <laughs> But uh, <laughs> how good. has your week been, Nicole? It's
1: been really great, thanks I had a little blurb I wanted to say here, but in the uh, interest of time, I'll postpone it. But I, I went to a really, really great workshop during the week with a uh, well-known psychiatrist, neuroscientist. He does a lot of research with brains and brain development, Dr. Bruce Perry. And I've made a few comments about him on my Facebook page, and he is fantastic. And he just is very... Knowledgeable about how the brain develops when you're Mm -hmm. in utero and as a young child, and how important that is to your future in terms of learning and your skills and your executive functioning, Uh and what can get in the way of that,
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: how to best teach children in terms of what are the optimal times of teaching a child. So, anyway. That's Dr. Bruce Perry. So if you'd like to learn more about his work, just Google his name, and there is a ton of information out there. So, yeah, Great. really neat stuff. But his his uh, main message was that in order to function at its highest uh, ability level, I guess you would say, the brain mm-hmm. relies on relationships, healthy relationships. Uh-huh. Huh. So in order to learn best, Yeah which is the cornerstone and the foundation of inclusive classrooms because inclusive classrooms promote healthy relationships, respect, um, you know, social Mm -hmm. interaction. And I think that really speaks to how important inclusive classrooms are for kids in terms of being able to learn. So kind of neat, that relationship. Mm hmm so have you heard of him, Terry? Do, do you know his work?
2: I have not. Uh, it's possible that I have. It sounds vaguely familiar, but I'm not near all my books now. to look and see if yeah, I have yeah. one by him. So, yeah. uh, no, it's, I, it's interesting. I mean, I'm thinking just, just because I'm a devil's advocate, that my daughter had better relationships in her self-contained class than she ever had in an inclusion class. So, yeah. I, you know, I donate. It's one of those things where inclusion is excellent and best if it's done well, and if it's Whoa. done badly, it can be Harmful. Exactly. And it's really... If all you know in the inclusion class is people bullying you and ignoring you, then you're not going to get the benefit of it. No. No. And you know what? It is really up to the teacher
1: to set that tone. The teacher has to yes. work at that at the beginning of the year and then, of course, carry that on through the year. That's mm-hmm. a whole other show. <laughs> <But laughs> what
2: show are we doing today, Nicole?
1: <laughs> well, speaking of inclusion in classrooms, of course, we are very fortunate to have... Paula Lieb join us again from the New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, and I say again because she was our guest when we were doing the inclusive class for the Special Needs Network for the Coffee Clatch, and she has um, uh, graciously agreed to come back and join us this morning, and she's going to actually talk about all the planning that's done before the child is placed in an inclusive classroom, which is... Really, that's where it needs to, you know, that should be the real focus. That's where it needs to start, and Paula is going to tell us why. Good morning, Paula, and welcome to the show. Good morning.
0: Good to talk to you.
1: We're so happy to have you again, and even though it's snowing
0: in your area, you're fine. (laughs) Yes, I'm fine. I have a little bit of a cold, so I hope everybody can understand me. But, yeah, it's snowy and it's beautiful in New Jersey.
1: And you're in a nice, warm, cozy home and not a parking garage.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm sitting in my office looking at it, this <laughs> no. Good, yep. good. Well,
1: Paula, before we get started into the questions, uh, we have a lot of new listeners for our program. Do you mind giving the audience a little bit of background about yourself and the work that you do with the New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education?
0: Yeah, that's fine. I actually have a background both as a, general education teacher, a middle school teacher, and as a special education attorney. So mm-hmm. I had both of those roles before I um came on as director of the Coalition for Inclusive Education. So, um also uh, am a parent of a, a daughter that struggled with some learning disabilities and learning how to read. Mm-hmm. So, um so I it's it's um very rewarding work for me. Uh at the Coalition, we actually do a lot of consulting with parents. We do a lot of consulting in districts on systems that support inclusive education and and individual planning for kids. And just to plug our conference, we have a big summer inclusion conference on the 26th and 27th of um, June in New Jersey. This is going to be, I think, our 11th conference and uh, people can find information about that on our website if they just Google NJCIE dot net. The um, uh, the website will come up.
1: Wonderful. Good. Good yeah. to know. Thank you. I'm glad that you were yeah. able to to mention that. Yeah. Now Now, um, because I've seen your website and you do a lot of work with parents and schools and communities and offer a lot of services, so that will be a great conference to get to if people are in the area or want to go to the
0: area. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, we'd love we'd love to see them. We Good to see them.
1: Good. Now, uh, let's sort of kinda of move our way then into this whole planning that I talked about earlier, because mm-hmm. before a child and a school and a family are ready to go into an inclusive classroom, uh we want it to be successful and positive. But in order right. to do that we need to find the right amount of support for the child. And what does that mean when we say support, or you know, just the right amount of support? What are we, what are we trying to do?
0: Yeah, we, you know, when we when we do trainings with teachers and and parents, and um, we also do a lot of training for paraprofessionals or aides, um, we talk about this concept of getting just the right amount of support. And over the years, I've figured out how key this is to what we do in terms of um, developing good inclusive classrooms because as Terry kind of mentioned inclusion's an easy thing to do poorly
2: you know Ooh-hoo. we really have to
0: really have to think about it and you know the ultimate goal of the law is um that we want to support one of the ultimate goals is of course independent living that's what we want when our kids are 18 we all want them or 21 we all want them to to be out there so there that that whole concept of that delicate balance between having not too much support, not too little, just right. So we, we have a when we do trainings we have a, a slide of, you know, the Goldilocks story. Yes, because yes. we kind of keep that that image in mind. Because if we over support the, the the student can become dependent on that helper okay. and come to rely on that, you know, high level of adult prompting and supervision and um, to illustrate this, I had a, a client once when I was an attorney, and when she was in second grade, her mom wanted her included, and that was in the early 90s. And we always thought in terms of, well, let's get a paraprofessional for that child, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and so we worked hard to get that paraprofessional. But when she was in in high school, and we were working on this again. We were actually trying to, to decrease the time the paraprofessional take right. yeah. with her. Yeah. I know we were sitting in an IEP meeting one day, and the young lady got up after the meeting and left the room, and her para picked up in her book bag and ran after her. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, my goodness, you know, yeah. we've created a nightmare here. But, uh, of course, we worked on that. and yeah. um, So that's too much. But you can also have too little, you know, yeah. that that too little support. Is going to result in some frustration. Mm-hmm. So, um, so a lot of the work we do is is one of the pieces of planning. Kind of looking at what we're doing right now in terms of mm-hmm. supports in the classroom, and look for warning signs to figure out whether we might have too little or too much. You know, right. too much might be. Um, if a if a student looks around for the paraprofessional or an an adult before they start to do something mm. or or wait to be told the next step to do something mm-hmm. um and of course under support somebody might throw a book on the floor <laughs> and they're not, yeah. you know <laughs> if it's too difficult for them so yeah. um so that's one of the big pieces of planning and then also when
1: planning and Terry and I have talked about this a lot too and It's really important to consider the curriculum when planning for students, especially students who have more significant challenges. We still want to provide them with the curriculum that's being taught. Can you tell the audience why that's so important to consider?
0: Yeah, you know, a a couple of things about that. I mean, um, as as you just said, our students should have the right to access the core curriculum. I think that was made Mm -hmm really clear in the law in 1997 that we're not going to be doing a different curriculum or a, mm-hmm. or a watered down we we really want to be working on the core and the whole purpose of classroom supports is not only to help the child work on their goals but also to give them access to that curriculum but um from the perspective of a general education teacher and and this whole concept of the importance of the curriculum in terms of the school was brought to me when I went to, um, um, in Rhode Island, Tony Antosh at the Sherlock Center on Disabilities in Rhode Island, they do these inclusion institutes
1: mm-hmm. and
0: where they spend a day and teams can come with an individual student and and plan. And, and a lot of the stuff that Tony talked about was think about cur- how curriculum drives school, it drives the schedule, and And for if you want to make connection with that general education teacher, that's a common language you know right. I mean right. everybody everybody knows what curriculum what curriculum is and yeah. for a general education teacher um and I know I can speak from my own experience in the eighties when I was teaching um, you know the the lingo of the special educators was kind of. Dense to me. I didn't mm-hmm. really. What I wanted to know
1: <laughs> yeah. was,
0: okay, if a child has an auditory processing problem or something else, what does that look like when I'm doing a history mm-hmm. lecture, or what does that look like during a group activity? You know, that's the kind of thing I need to know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that thinking about the curriculum and the activities is is a really important piece.
1: Oh yes, yeah. I think especially. I mean, it's easy to get wrapped up in developing skills and socializing and, you know, all those little transitions and how are we going to provide them with adaptive technology and, you know, what kinds of adaptive technology software programs and things that they can use. But we just really need to focus on what are the goals? What what in the curriculum do we want them to learn And right. and alongside their peers, too? We want them to have that opportunity yeah. to learn what their peers are learning as well. So right. that's yeah, inclusion.
2: That's, that's a big piece that I think falls out a lot, even for kids who are in inclusion. I think there's often a perception that, well, they're never really going to need this. Mm-hmm. You know, you were talking about yeah. the importance of independent living. And, and, yeah, that's important, but we're living in a time when lots of typical kids aren't able to move out of their parents' house at 18 and 21 <laughs> Lots of adults live at home just because of the way the economy is. And I feel like sometimes with our kids, it becomes this is our primary job and educating these kids is so that they will be able to go out to a group home at 18 or 21 or they will be able to live mm-hmm. on their own. I don't want that to be the school's primary focus for my kid. I want them to teach him math. I want them to teach him how to read. Yeah, I want right. them to teach them how to do, how to, you know, write a simple essay or a simple letter. Mm-hmm. And I think often it becomes, well, that's never going to be important to them. This stuff is going to be important, so I'm going to teach them how to cook instead of how to read. Well, I can right. teach them how to cook. You can teach right. them how to read. And I see some of right. my son's friends who, he has a friend now who is just starting to get math at age 22, and he's aging out of the system. He's never going to get a chance to learn math now. If somebody had started him earlier on it, more seriously, and saying, you know what, we as a society feel it's important to learn math. We're going to teach you math. Mm-hmm. Um he, was, he would be so much further along now, and it's yeah. really frustrating. And yeah. it's a challenge, yeah. I know, for all educators, but I just kind of hate this. We're going to focus on social skills and living skills yeah. with these kids, and we'll put you in an inclusion yeah. class, and we'll say we're teaching you math, but really we're just going to teach you what you need to do to buy something at the dollar store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it right. gets reduced.
0: Yeah, um, I, I think so that's my little That's a really good point. I mean, that's a really good point. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it should be on my bonnet. But, um, yeah. <laughs> well, and then in terms
1: of planning, of course, when people are coming together to consider this curriculum and all the supports that are going to be needed, there's several people that play a very important role in this planning process. There's usually the general educator, the special educator, and of course the parents. What are their roles specifically, and can you just dis- describe what should be happening in this planning? Situation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, again, I have to give credit to Tony and Tasha from Rhode Island for mm-hmm. this, how important that general educator is to, to the conversation. Because I, I think a lot of times they're involved in meetings and they're not quite sure about what their role is. Nice. Yeah. But they they are the expert on the curriculum. And, yeah. you know, and when you're talking about an individual classroom, if, if you've been a general educator or teacher, you know that, um, you know, in your teaching, there are certain activities that you do over and over again to, um, you know, to to teach kids the curriculum. That's that's your job, to try to get it into their heads and how am I going to do this, you know. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're really an expert on what's going on in the classroom. And then, of course, there's special educators, that strategies person that can help, you know, give us strategies to, to bridge that gap between that's created by a, a child's disability, between um you know what what their disability is and accessing that curriculum there's a little gap there of course the parents are the expert on the child so you know they're including their child 24 hours a day or you know most of the time so uh, you know we used to do these inclusion clinics in new jersey where we'd say okay you we'd have people bring a team to a college and uh for an individual child, and we'd say you have to have the gen and a general educator, a special educator, and a parent and if you don't have one of those three people, we're going to send you home because they're really mm-hmm. yeah. you know, the important piece of of this planning process so um so uh, you know that's really the first step, but I think empowering that general educator is a, an important piece of this and it may not happen at a, at an IEP meeting, you know, it may be an informal meeting that um a team has with a parent about a particular problem they're having with a child or um you know, planning for the coming year. Ooh. But it's always always great to bring these people together at the beginning of the year to Oh yeah. Uh, talk, <laughs> you know, to talk.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think uh, I, I, as a teacher, appreciate you saying that the general education teacher does play quite a significant role in the sense that they do know a lot about the curriculum and the skill development and the goals of that grade level and making the or helping the general education teacher feel empowered and part of that planning process as well is extremely important because they can often feel a little bit disassociated with the whole process and that they don't really have a say because you've got the special education teacher there, the parents, the, you know, um, outside services, and this is all that's going to happen. And very rarely, or I shouldn't say very rarely, but often the general education teacher is, you know, okay, yep, that's what I'll do. Okay, we'll write that down (laughs) in an IEP. And (laughs) sometimes we can leave that meeting feeling very overwhelmed and bewildered. (laughs)
2: true, so. it's true. And <laughs> I know have... oftentimes often with my kids, the general ed teacher never showed up for the IEPs. I can't remember more than a wow. handful that actually involved the general education teacher, which was, Wow. you know, That's if that volume. happens to you for, for parents, you know, be the liaison between the team and the te- general education teacher. I had general ed teachers who never got a copy of the IEP, <laughs> so I would make them a yeah. copy and give it to them and circle the parts that they needed to look at.
0: And, Mm -hmm. you know,
2: you can be the one bringing the concerns back and forth if it's a a problem. Often it's a scheduling problem because you have to get, everybody has a different break time. (laughs) So, you know, if you get the special ed teacher there, you can't get the regular ed teacher there. Um, So, you know, this is another one of those perfect world things. In a perfect world, everybody would be together and everybody would be on the same page and they would all know what they were doing and what they needed to talk about. Um, But in the real world, other than Rhode Island, I guess,
0: not so much. (laughs) Well, we do we do do this in New Jersey some, sometimes, but yeah. we're, in New Jersey, Clifton is yeah, struggling
2: with a lot yeah. of
0: that. Yeah, yeah, no, I yeah. I hear what you I hear you I hear you.
2: Yeah, but yeah,
0: yeah. I I I think it, there is a distinction with um, inclusive planning for inclusive classrooms because. I I think you really need to know. And in terms of having too much support or too little, you have to know what's going on in that classroom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the essential steps that, that we did in our inclusion clinic and whenever we work with, um, you know, with teams or with parents or with schools, um, there are some steps that we follow. There is a process. Would you like me to share that with you? Yes,
2: that was going to be mm-hmm. my next question. What are the essential steps in planning those supports? And, of course, it all varies from child to child what sorts of supports are needed. Exactly. So, um it has exactly. to be You have to have the people who are working with the kid involved in it. Um, so, right, yeah, right. please go over those steps for us.
0: Yeah, it it, it, it it's, an, it's interesting because I think that, Um, I mean, during the day, supports can be very different, like you said, Mm -hmm. you know, Terry, to be individualized. But what what we usually do, and and sometimes we would do this whole process in a morning, Um, we would start by, and we would come into the room not really knowing anything about the child when we would do these Mm -hmm. inclusion clinics, but we'd invite a team, and we'd all start to talk about um, the child's strengths, their interests, their challenges, Mm-hmm. There's strategy, you know, strategies that worked, support and goals, and we had a, a very simple student profile that's actually on our website under our our tools if people are interested in, in looking at it. And we would take that's that. big pieces of, like the um,
2: of student e- profile.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah, the positive nice student sense. profile. So we would mm-hmm. put big easel pad papers up on the wall, and we would just talk about the student. And, you know, in an hour we would have such a fabulous profile of who this child really was. And mm-hmm. I think the parents were always impressed that the, that the educators had yeah. as many strengths and interests, you know, as the parent did often when we, mm-hmm. you know, drilled down without looking at all the evaluations and everything, just to have a conversation. Right. Love and that. then... Love. Yeah, and then the next piece of it, what we would do is is say to the general education teacher, okay, now we want you to break down the day. We want you to start at 8 a.m. and go Mm -hmm. 8 to 8.30, what generally happens in your classroom. You know, and they might say, oh, students, you know, kindergarten teacher might say, oh, students come in, they put their things in their cubby, um, then they sit down and they're supposed to, uh, you know, work on such and such activity. And then we might start circle time. And then we'd say, okay, as a group, looking at this profile as a student, let's look at that period of time. What supports would the child need at each step during that during that time? And a lot of times I, I think as we broke down the day, what people would figure out is that sometimes the child didn't need any supports at all. I mean mm-hmm. if a child after a couple of weeks could learn how to, you know, model the other kids and put their stuff in their cubby and sit down and there would be an activity. You know, we'd have the first half hour of the day figured out for the rest of the year. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it translates into um, all grade levels because, um, uh, you know, like with a history class, say, you know, if the teacher does lecture sometimes or during certain times the teacher does group work, and we would go through the day and say, okay, these different activities, what support would this student need? What are the different things we could do, say, if they have difficulty taking notes? what are the different things we could do during that period of time, Mm -hmm. you know. And we would do this process and get through the day and the supports and the conversation in about four hours, you know, and we would have Mm -hmm. the year kind of mapped out. Wow. And we found it so empowering. So I, I know that people cannot spend three hours doing something like that sometimes, although I think sometimes, um, you know, students with more significant needs, we would break down the day into maybe even 15-minute segments and mm-hmm. in the process. And um, and if you do it up front, you save a lot of time during the year. Yes, that's not, important. You know, and or important. you can just plug into this, you know, this way of thinking other times. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I know we're getting close to the end of our time. Uh, I want to make sure that we get in here. What resources does your organization offer for families?
0: We actually have um we have parent groups that are focused on inclusion around New Jersey. Um mm-hmm. and if parents are interested in being part of something like that, we think it's very powerful for parents to get together and actually talk to each other. So mm-hmm. we do that. People can contact us and we can um either help them start a, a very small little coffee clutch group or mm-hmm. um uh you know join another. Um, we do have a conference coming up. We do lunch and learns that are on our on Fridays, um, from twelve to one where we have a parent and a director of special ed that will be on. Uh, we do a lot of training for districts also. Yes. Um, in collaboration and uh for paraprofessionals, and we do a lot in the area yes. of positive behavioral supports.
1: That's so great.
0: We're trying to be a resource. hmm <laughs> Sounds like you're doing a
1: great job. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah,
2: it's great to have training for parents. I think often they're just kind of thrown in and expected to do all the heavy lifting with absolutely no True. training. True. Or yeah. um, you know, other than I had many parents tell me, oh well, I was a parent, so I know what to do, and it's like, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it requires a little bit more than that. So. And
1: then very um, quickly, Paula, where's the website located that parents can access?
0: Um, if they Google NJCIE net it will pull up. It's actually H T T P double blacks slash N J C I E Wonderful.
1: And, yeah. Oh wonderful. Thank you. And that's a great time to stop.
2: We appreciate um there There's we go. The school There's bell a school bell.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right.
2: Well let me uh thank you so much for being our guest today, Paula. And I'd like thank to thank you. our listeners for tuning to our program this morning. Please join us for next week's show when we have Michael McSheehan talking about using augmentative and alternative communication in the inclusive class. Uh, In the meantime, Nicole and I will be moderating a session at the 8th Annual Kids Included Together Conference in San Diego on Thursday, March 14th at 3.30 p.m. Pacific time, important to note. Mm -hmm. If you are not able to attend our session, plus all the others, we'll (laughs) stream live for you to watch. Go to www.kitconference.org for information. You can also follow us on Twitter, where Nicole tweets in the name inclusive underscore class, and I am at mamatude, M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E. And finally, you can download our past podcasts for free on Stitcher and iTunes. Goodbye, everybody, and have a great week. Goodbye, and thank you very much.
0: Thank you.